Please be seated and welcome to Christ the King this morning. As you heard, we're in our sermon series on first impressions. We're looking at various uh, responses to Jesus. And there are many varied responses to Jesus. Some people were very favorably uh, impressed with him, responded well. Last week we looked at uh, kind of an inarguable positive. Jesus was viewed as a kind person. Uh, This week we're going to look at a little bit more... uh, well, he was viewed as a, contra- as a controversial figure. Some responded to him, to him very, uh, not positively, but viewed him as a threat. Uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 2. You'll want to have that passage open in front of you. We're going to look at really two instances of the controversies surrounding Jesus. We're going to look at one, uh, the first, and you'll see this in uh, chapter 2. Verses 13 and 17, we're going to ask the question, what did Jesus do that was controversial? The second question we're going to look at is going to be in the second story. And we're going to ask the question, what did he say about what he did? So two simple questions, what did Jesus do that was so controversial? And the second question, what did he say about uh, what he did that was controversial? And uh, what did he do? Pretty obvious. He ate and he drank, and he kept questionable company with tax collectors and sinners. You see that in verse 7, uh, 16. Why does he do this? It's not a positive question. It's a critical question. Why is he he doing these things? And there are many... uh, Jesus was no uh, stranger to controversy. Uh, He was always rubbing a few people the wrong way. and there's not one cause of his controversy. He, on some occasions, he really amped up God's law. And it caused controversy. Think of the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus said, uh, you've heard it said, don't kill. I say, even if you're angry, you, you've offended God and his law. You've heard it say, don't commit adultery. I say, even if you look with lustful intent, you've cross the line, right? So there's some occasions in which Jesus really turns up the heat and causes controversy. Who is this? And there's some occasions, like you heard in our, our second passage, when Jesus uh, appears to be a little bit loose. So, for instance, these laws about uh, fasting. Those guys fast. The disciples of the Pharisees fast. The disciples of John fast. But your guys, uh, they don't seem to fast. And so on some occasions, Jesus really turns up the heat, and but on other occasions, he appears to be a little bit looser. And all these things cause controversy. But I think this controversy that we have here is probably the most recurring controversy, his questionable company. Uh, Jesus just runs with the wrong crowd. And he does so here, and he does so throughout the New Testament. Just a few instances You probably know some of these stories, but on one occasion, a woman with a very questionable, disreputable past anoints his feet, and those near him say, huh, doesn't he know the person who is doing this? Uh, On another occasion, he eats with another tax collector named Zacchaeus, and again, the same question, huh, look at the company he keeps. And so I think this controversy, this one controversy of Jesus' company is, is kind of an emblematic, the most recurring. 
uh, controversy that Jesus encounters, and that is his uh, questionable company. So what is he doing that causes controversy? He eats and drinks with sinners. Now, my original title for this sermon was a controversialist. I had to change that because I actually looked up in the dictionary what controversialist meant, and it means someone who's kind of spoiling for a fight. Someone who just likes being argumentative, who makes mountains out of molehills. That's not how Jesus was. Don't be like that. Uh, It's kind of tiresome. Jesus did not make mountains out of molehills, but he was controversial. Uh, His life and his work and what he did were simply incompatible. And you don't have any sense that Jesus is going to explain away the differences that he's going to minimize the distinction between him and others. He's not entering a debate. There is a clear break and a clear cause of controversy that Jesus does not in any way back away from, right? So, to summarize, many reasons that Jesus was a controversial figure, but probably the most common one was this. He eats and he drinks with sinners. That's what Jesus did We're halfway there. Now let's think about what Jesus said about what he did. Let's turn to our uh, next passage. And uh, again, the occasion is different. Some people are fasting, his are not. But Jesus describes his ministry in a way that helps us understand uh, what he believes about what he's doing. And he says three things, three images to help us understand his ministry. Follow along with me. I'm in verse 19. He compares his ministry to a wedding party at which he is the groom. That's number one. Number two, he compares himself to a piece of fresh cloth on an unfresh garment. Uh, Verse 21 and verse 22, he compares himself to new wine. Now we're going to think a little bit about each one of those and how each one of those images can help us understand a little bit better about what Jesus did and why what he did was so controversial. All right? So first image. Jesus described his ministry in terms of a wedding party, and a wedding party at which he was the groom. And who doesn't like a wedding party? Wedding parties then, now, then as now, are a great celebration. And that's how Jesus describes his ministry. But it's almost a little audaciously good. A little Old Testament background will be helpful. Uh, One of the Old Testament hopes, uh, as as the prophets looked forward for a new day when God would act differently, one of the Old Testament hopes was a marriage in which God would treat his people like a husband treats their bride. So this from the prophet Hosea one of the Old Testament prophets, Hosea says uh, that God will allure his people and bring his people back into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And in that day, God says, you will call me my husband. So do you hear that's the Old Testament hope that one day God's going to deal tenderly like a husband to a bride. And here Jesus is saying, hey, I'm the groom. In other words, it's a good image. It's a little audaciously good, though, right? Let's move on. Second thing Jesus says about his ministry. He says it's like a new patch sewn into an old garment. 
Now, I, I love uh, little word connections and little um, tracing etymologies back and forth, and I discovered something that I found interesting, that this word, an, un, uh, an unshrunk cloth, you see that in verse 21? That actually means un, un, unprepared or unbleached. Uh, back in those days, cloth was prepared by a very rigorous, uh, you'd scrape and scrub and pound and bleach uh, cloth to make it prepared. And the job was called a fuller. So that was a fuller's job uh, to prepare cloth, right? Well, this word shows up in another place, uh, unbleached or, or uh, cloth. It shows up when Jesus uh, reveals a little bit of his glory. It's an event called the Transfiguration. And on that day, Jesus reveals his glory. So for most of the time, Jesus is walking around in fairly beat-up clothing, shabby clothing. But in one moment, his glory is revealed. And it's the, the passage, Mark says that his clothes shone shown wider than anyone could bleach them. Any launderer could make them. Any fuller could make them. Same word here. Jesus is the piece of white cloth that doesn't fit with the rest of the garment. There's something incongruous about his ministry, about his life. Like imagine seeing one piece patch that just doesn't blend with the rest. A little academia, biblical academia, uh, about 30, 40 years ago, there was a kind of a movement within biblical scholarship that really emphasized the Jewish roots of Jesus. And of course, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and Jesus grew up in a Jewish home, and Jesus ate Jewish food, and he was part of the Jewish culture, absolutely, no doubt. But this line of thinking emphasizing the Jewish, the, 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 his cultural background probably went a little bit too far. And one scholar said, in an influential lecture, said that what was distinct about Jesus' ministry? What was new? What was different? And his response was, not much. A little bit here and a little bit there. Only a little bit of what Jesus said is without previous parallel. In other words, most of what this scholar is suggesting, most of what Jesus said, most of what he did was already a part of that first century expression of religion. What was new? Not much. Only a few bits. In other words, Jesus was a, a progressive rabbi reforming his religion. But that certainly doesn't reflect Jesus's un understanding of himself, does it? There's something incongruous. He doesn't fit. He's a new mold. He's not like the old. He's not a reforming rabbi. Instead, he's the first Christian. And he's not just new in contrast with the religion of his day. He's new every day. He's new all days. And what is new about the ministry of Jesus? What's the new thing? What's well, this? He eats and he drinks with sinners. That's the new thing. Remember our first image? Jesus is the groom who eats, who, who speaks tenderly to his bride. 
That's what Jesus is doing. He's speaking tenderly to his bride. But who are the people he's speaking with? Not the rabbis, not the teachers, not, not the... He's speaking to tax collectors, sinners. He's speaking tenderly, but he's speaking tenderly to the wrong people. This is what is new about Jesus. It's the striking figure, and you see it here, and it's the constant theme, consistent theme through the New Testament, that he is the one who goes and seeks for the lost. He is the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to find the one. He is the doctor who goes to the sick and not the healthy, who seeks and saves the lost. And this is new. And this is new then, it was new then, and it is new now. All of us revert to old religion. You know what old religion is? Old religion is God helps those who help themselves. Old religion is God gives his forgiveness to those who are repentant. Old religion is God gives his grace to those who do their best. Doesn't that sound like that should be in the Bible somewhere? God gives grace to those who do their best. Well, it's not. That's old thinking. That's old religion. Jesus is a new type of figure who seeks and saves the lost. Jesus does not wait for the lost to turn around. He goes and gets them. He's a physician who comes for the sick. Everyday religion, old religion, the old cloth is a religion which says that God helps those who help themselves and God will forgive the repentant sinner. But this is something new. That God's forgiveness would precede our repentance. That God would go and get the sinner. That's new. Elsewhere in the Bible it says that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus died for you. Not after you'd figured it out. Not after you'd, you'd, you'd decided to turn your life around. Not then, before then. While you were yet a sinner, Jesus died for you. You know, there's an interesting little part in our Anglican liturgy that's so subtle and brilliant. I've mentioned this in the past, but just to restate it, uh, during our liturgy, we're going to confess our sins. And you're going to, we're all going to say, most merciful God, have mercy on me and forgive me, etc. And at the end, I am going to stand up and say, Almighty God, have mercy on you and forgive you all, does forgive you of all your sins. And then I'm going to say something that should be a little startling. I'm going to say, may God grant you true repentance, amendment of life, and the grace and the consolation of the Holy Spirit. Now that should be a little bit dis combobulating. Here you are, you've just made your repentance, you've just made your confession, and I'm up here standing saying, may God give you true repentance. Why? Because the repentance that you just went through doesn't really count. It's half-hearted at best. What leads to repentance? Forgiveness leads to repentance. God's forgiveness turns on the spigot of our repentance. 
Your repentance does not turn on the spigot of God's forgiveness. Do you see the difference? This is played out for us in a very similar scene when Jesus has dinner with the tax collector named Zacchaeus. Sorry, tax collectors. Uh, they always get a bad rap in the Bible. If you're a tax collector now, you're, uh, you're, you're okay. It's just that tax collectors then were of a very bad lot, a little bit of a, well, uh, just trust me, they were. And so Jesus was having dinner with another tax collector. And his name was Zacchaeus. And after dinner, Zacchaeus stands up and says, now I will pay back four times what I've wronged. Do you see the difference? It was the kindness of the Lord which led to repentance, not, the repent, not our repentance that led to his kindness. And this is the new figure, the new thing that Jesus brings to us. Every religion, now and then, always reverts, always digresses into God gives us grace to those who do their best. Only problem is none of us do our best. God helps those who help themselves. It's the old cloth. Jesus is new, and he views his ministry as such. He is the doctor who seeks the, help, uh, the sick, the Savior who dies for sinners, not those who have turned the corner. It's new, and it's disruptive to our third and final image. He's like the wine that bursts through a wineskin. Now, you know that probably a little bit of uh, thinking wine ferments, so a new wineskin would allow for that fermentation while uh, an old wineskin would be brittle and burst. In other words, there's something disruptive, explosive about Jesus' ministry. And there is. This is beautifully portrayed for us in a book I've referenced before, Les Miserables. I've tried to read it five times. I always stall at the same exact space, spot. Seen the movie, even, even seen the musical. You probably know it as well. It's a great story between, and two people are contrasted. On one hand, you have Jean Valjean, a criminal. And this criminal experiences unmerited, unprovoked kindness. He's hosted by a bishop. In the middle of the night, he wakes up, steals the bishop's stuff, and whacks the bishop on the head. He's caught the next morning. He's taken back to the bishop, and the bishop says, Jean Valjean, you forgot the good stuff. And he fills Jean Valjean's bag with silver and everything else, and he sends him on his way. I have managed to make it through this part in the book. And in the book, it, it tells about this great scene in which Jean Valjean is just undone. And what happens is he goes, he sees this little boy, and he, to the, he takes a little penny from this boy. Right? So just, and he's about to go on his old ways, sort of Jean Valjean, the crook, the criminal, the hard, hardened person. And then he has, has this moment, this tortured moment, where he compares his smallness, his meanness, his pettiness to the uh, undeserved and unprompted kindness of the bishop, and it just ruins him. The old wineskin bursts, and a new person comes out. Now, this is, of course, compared with Javert. And Javert, as you know, he's the opposite. He's the, he's the antithesis. And Javert, he's the good guy. He's the righteous guy. He's the one who's been hunting Jean Valjean down for all these many years. And then as the book comes to a close, there's a turn, and 
Javert, who's been hunting Jean Valjean, the, the tables turn, and now Jean Valjean has Javert in his sights. And all Jean Valjean has to do is pull the trigger and take care of all his worries. But he doesn't. Jean Valjean shows Javert mercy. And you know what it does to Javert? Ruins him. And at the final scene, he sings a song. Javert sings a song. He says, Vengeance was his. Vengeance was Jean Valjean's. He could have. Vengeance was his. And he gave me back my life. I'll be damned if I'll live in the dead of a thief. Damned if I'll yield at the end of the chase. I am the law. The law is not mocked. I'll spit his pity right back in his face. You see, his, the old wineskin burst. I'll spit his mercy, his pity, right back in his face. You, I hope you can appreciate in both the unexpected grace was like wine that burst. One burst to a new and transformed life. One burst to ruin. And you see the same thing happening in our gospel story. He eats and drinks with sinners. Some sinners are being reborn to new life, while some, their wineskin is being burst to another end. It's disruptive. I guess the question is, as we come to a conclusion, is this the Jesus you know? Someone who's new. The doctor who seeks the sick, the shepherd who seeks the lost, the Savior who dies, not for the good, not for the righteous, not for those who have it together. He dies for people like you and me. The Savior who dies for sinners, not when they're repentant, not after they've done their best. It's new. Is Jesus disruptive? His unmerited kindness shakes us, leads us down one path or another. The path of Javert, who said, I'll spit his pity right back in his face. No, thank you. Or Jean Valjean, whose life was transformed. So there it is. Jesus was a controversial figure. You know why? He ate and he drank with sinners, and he died for sinners. Jesus was for the down and out for those at their wit's end. I wonder what the church would be like if we reflected this a little bit more, this aspect of his character. The historian Eric Dodd wrote about 50 years ago, he pondered this question. What accounts for the triumphal spread of Christianity? What was its appeal? He writes this. There is a dreadful loneliness that can beset men. Such loneliness must have been felt by millions. The urbanized tribesmen, the peasant come to town in search of work, the demobilized soldier, etc., etc. For people in that situation, membership in a Christian community may have been the only way of maintaining their self-respect and their life some semblance of meaning. Within the community of the church was warmth, someone interested in them, He concludes, I think that this was the major cause, perhaps the single strongest cause for the spread of Christianity. In other words, 
the appeal of the church, writes the historian Dodd, was that the church extended warmth to the down and out, to loose-ended people, people who the Bible says were not wise or of noble birth nor of powerful. That's how the Apostle Paul describes the church in 1 Corinthians. The appeal of the church and its rapid spread is rooted in Jesus Christ, not a reforming rabbi, the first Christian, who ate and drank with sinners, who was for the down and out, who died for sinners, died for those who didn't have it all together, just like you and me. Please rise.